Is your pastor a robot? No. <laughs> Welcome to Answers New, June, <laughs> Answers New, June 19th, 2023. I am Dr. Georgia Purdom, and this is Brian Osborne and Rocket Rob oh. Webb. And so we're going to be discussing a church service that was delivered by AI or artificial intelligence in addition to other news stories. But let's start off with... AI chatbot preaches at church in Germany. It looks like the unveiling of the Antichrist beast system. Okay. Okay, wow. so... Yeah, what a when you thought you've heard everything, right? Yeah. <laughs> let's look at what happened. So this was an experimental church service, all right? So mm -hmm. they, they did say, basically, this is not their regular church service. And it was delivered by the um, chat GPT, which is the AI artificial intelligence system now that's out there. Um, it delivered a, I think it was like a 40-minute service that was mm -hmm. delivered by this chat bot, and 98% of it came from the machine. So there was basically like a, a person on the screen, you can kind of see it there, an avatar. So that's not a real person in that sense. It's like an avatar that's being used by ChatGPT basically to deliver the sermon. So what could possibly not be good about this? Wow. <laughs> Just when you thought uh, you heard everything, and yeah, in case you haven't, you've been living underneath a rock, you have this popular AI service out there, you know, got these chatbots, and I just kept thinking, like, how weird would that sound, right, with this flat monotone kind of avatar preaching this service, I just thought that would be so weird, but also, like with any pro computer program, obviously, its design still requires a mind, and I think too many of us have been watching too many sci-fi movies lately, we're all concerned about AI, so if you're concerned with AI taking over the world, just realize it's just a computer program, just a bunch of ones and zeros, not going to be able to produce life out of it. It's, well, obviously not, it's, it's not Terminator? It's not or Terminator. Skynet. You guys don't have to worry about that, okay. all right? But um, one of the points I want to get across, though, is a lot of these computer programs, like with any computer program, it's based on the designer and the assumptions behind the designer. So obviously, you know, with these chatbots, they're not going to be coming from a biblical worldview, most likely a humanistic worldview that they're going to be basing themselves on. And, and as with any tool, it can either be helpful or it can be destructive, of course. And they even mentioned that in the article, too. You know, there's some certain... Uh, uh, aspects of AI that we can use to our benefit, but at the same time, I agree with a lot of the critics here, probably it shouldn't belong in a pulpit. Yeah. Would well, you there, say, Brian? There's so many funny things about the sermon that this thing preached. So it said, dear friends, it's an honor for me to stand here and preach to you. He's not standing there. It's not it. It's not standing yeah. there. It's yeah. not really yeah. preaching to them. It's artificial intelligence. It's expressionless. It was monotone, they said. And then in the sermon, it talked about leaving the past behind, Focusing on the challenges of the present, overcoming fear of death, never losing trust in Jesus. It can do none of those things, yet yeah. it's trying to talk about it. So it's kind of ironic as it tries to get yeah. all this stuff out. It says we need to keep our faith. We must pray and go to church regularly. Had to be robotic like that. I don't know. But anyway, and so it's more of a workspace, it sounds like, than real Christianity there. But again, it's just, it's just spitting out what's been programmed with. Yeah, yeah and, that, and that's the problem. I mean, the message that it gave was a very seeker-sensitive, at least what it sounded like, very seeker-sensitive, very motivational, positive type of, I don't see chatbot talking about your sins. I'm just saying, I don't think it's going to happen, so. right? Yeah. Um, they just want something that's very positive. And, and two, like, sure, chatbot can quote-unquote preach, but it can't shepherd Right? And that's what a pastor is supposed to do. A pastor shepherds his flock. Right? He doesn't, he's not just in the job of teaching. He's in the job of taking care of that flock, ministering to their needs. And he really can't do that. And one of the other things that really kind of struck me is, you know, I've, I've heard plenty of pastors say that when they were preaching, like they just felt the Holy Spirit, you know, guiding them to maybe go a certain way in the sermon or do something. 
the, the Holy Spirit's not going to guide an avatar, you know, right, or a chat GPT to do anything. So they can't even be responsive to the moving of the Spirit and even what they're delivering and talking about. So clearly there's a lot of problems with yeah. this. Yeah, and obviously I think, I know this, this says it's just an experimental thing, but I think it exposes a misunderstanding of what a pastor really is. What a pastor actually, it's more than just teaching. A pastor is going to be ministering, taking care of their congregation. Obviously an AI chatbot can't do that. It just reminds me also of Hebrews thirteen seventeen, which says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obviously congregation can't do that, right? They can't obey and submit to an inanimate, lifeless kind of chatbot. So obviously it's, um, I know it's experimental, but those kind of things, they don't belong in a pulpit. Amen. And, you know, online services, you know, although a lot of, since the pandemic and everything, a lot of people went to that. But again, it says to not forsake the assembling of the saints. And we're yep. supposed to be together with other people, interacting with other people, including a real life pastor. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Those are good things that scripture has commanded us to do. All right. Saturn's moon Enceladus is habitable, confirms breakthrough study. Okay. So this, to my opinion, is a very clickbait title. Yeah. Okay. Because... Um, as, as you will see, it, it's not really habitable, right? All this is based on a lot, a lot of assumptions that may or may not be true. And, and basically, the, the thing that is really the new thing that they have found out about Enceladus is that it has phosphorus, okay? So they've been able to detect phosphorus. And phosphorus is really, really important for um, DNA. So I'm a geneticist, and that forms the backbone of DNA. You must have, uh, has a phosphate backbone. So that's why they're all, I think they're all getting excited because in addition to the other elements like hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, and nitrogen, they found, and sulfur, they found phosphorus. And so all of those things are the elements, quote unquote, that are needed for life. Yeah, I'm not a geneticist, but uh, I am Rocket Rob. So I was in the NASA industry for about 10 years. And I remember being in the industry, and this is one of the things I remember a lot of the NASA scientists were always talking about. After the Cassini spacecraft collected a lot of this, what they call moon juice, right? They collected this moon juice. They were, they were always looking for those ingredients of life. And in fact, every single NASA mission I ever worked on, get past all the fluff and stuff, that is their, always their number one mission. They want to find life. They want to find water because in their evolutionary story, they find water, maybe they can find life. And they're, they're looking for these essential requirements. They mentioned even in, in the article here, you know, things like sulfur and carbon, all these different elements for life. But here's the thing. You have a pile of Legos. Is it going to assemble into the Millennium Falcon? No, it still requires intelligence. So right off the bat, that assumption is not going to hold water, really. Um, <laughs> hold, hold water, but... <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> you, you knew it was coming. If you know Rob, you knew it was coming. I was trying to figure out a good place for that. But on top of that, plus there's also a lot of problems with the adequate energy source. That's the other main thing is they, they propose that there's these hydrothermal, you know, kind of vents coming off, you know, at the bottom of the ocean. Um, but actually I was talking to our resident astronomer, Danny Faulkner, about this. And the ocean spray that's coming off of this moon is very, very cold. I, I'm, I think, I'm thinking it's like, was it negative? Well, uh, the average temperature. So just to tell you how habitable Enceladus is, the average temperature is minus 330 degrees yeah, Fahrenheit. There you go. I'm not living so, there. Yeah. Nope. I don't think any life can. It's like Minnesota. Minnesota. 
Very little. Yeah. And just as a side note, too, one of the other interesting things is James Webb recently measured the large amounts of this uh, water kind of geysering off of this moon. And it was a huge amount of water, like the amount of gallons per minute. And so if you were just do a simple calculation, you would see that it actually confirms this moon is not that old. Otherwise, if it is within that evolutionary time scale, if the moon is billions of years old, it would have run out of the water by now. So again, that's another confirmation that what we read in God's word is true. And Georgia, you were talking backstage about how there's another contradiction in their line of thought because they're assuming if, they, if you can find the elements you find here on earth, you might find the same life on earth or a similar life in a, on another planet. But why is that problematic? Well, it's problematic because from an evolutionary standpoint, I mean, everything that's happened is basically just random, right? So just because this, this is how life looks on earth, why would that be how it looks on Enceladus or any other planet? Right. Why does it have to look the same? I, I realize you have to start somewhere in looking for life, right. but why, why do we think that life on other planets requires phosphorus, for example? Just because it does here doesn't mean it isn't somewhere else. Yeah. Not at least, that's not being consistent with an evolutionary worldview that why does life have to look this way? Why couldn't it look some other way if it's not coming from a common designer, right? If it's just the result of happenstance and random chance. So it's problematic in that sense. And also just speaking of phosphorus too, I also looked it up and it's, uh, it's actually in the top 20 elements in abundance cosmically. I think it was number 18. So actually it would have been odd for it Enceladus not to have phosphorus. So, of course, we want to always want to confirm that it's there. But, again, it's just the fact that it has phosphorus, the fact that it has all these ingredients doesn't automatically mean life. And they state it so dogmatically when you read the article. They're saying it, phosphorus, is just an ingredient that, at least for Earth, was essential for the emergence of life. They're stating it like it was just a plain yeah, fact. Like, this is fact. what led to the emergence of life. No, it wasn't, right? Actually, God is the cause for life. It wasn't through natural mm -hmm. processes. And the idea of getting life from non-life is utterly anti-biblical and anti-science. But it's stated as just absolute fact as you read the article. Yeah. So, um, I mean, again, always make sure. Don't just look at the title, right? Make sure yeah. you look at the content of things because a lot of times you start reading through it, you start to see, first of all, all the assumptions they're making. And secondly, that, I mean, calling Enceladus a habitable place? <laughs> habitable for who? Like, yeah, not yeah. for anybody here on Earth, right? And, and so just look beneath the surface. Look beneath the... Oh, that's actually funny too, because they think there's these under there's these Look oceans the under surface. the surface, right? We, of Enceladus. And maybe that's where life is. But there's no again, that's a total assumption. We yep. don't really know a lot of that. And it's still very, very cold, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe it's like minus two hundred something. Oh, okay, that's <laughs> even better. Yay. Yeah. So it's not that's yeah. not gonna work. Yeah, again, okay. you know what the so this kind of there. feeds into our next article. James Webb Space Telescope discovers asteroid belt comet. It has water vapor, right? Exclamation point, <laughs> because everyone knows that when you have yeah. water, you have life, right? That, yeah. That's the idea. Again, you have those elements. And so I'm going to let Rocket Rob Webb here Take talk a little bit about this because yeah. he is a rocket scientist. <laughs> and um, he's actually done quite a bit of work just studying mm -hmm. the some of the findings from the James Webb Space Telescope. Yeah. And by the way, for those that are wondering, I'm not directly related to James Webb. I mean, technically, we're all related going back to Adam and Eve, but no direct relationship. So that's always the number one question I always get. You know, <laughs> you're just talking about because he's your family member. But anyways, so yeah, I, I just thought this was a really interesting article because um, also just like the last one, this is more of a clickbaity kind of title. So make sure you get past the title, actually look into the article itself. One of the interesting things about this one is not that they found water vapor. Obviously, we've known for a long time, a lot of comments have water. Uh, one of the big things for them is that the lack of CO2 is what they said. There was no carbon dioxide. But really, the main question I had for them with this article is how do they explain 
explain all that water, that ice still being present in that comet for billions of years. If they really do think that these, uh, these, these comets are billions of years old, why would it still have any ice for water at all? Because, I mean, just think about it. Comets are made up of mostly ice and dirt. So every time they pass by the sun, they're losing a lot of that mass. Obviously, they can't last forever. So every time they pass by that, that sun, they're losing tons and tons of mass. So obviously, they're only going to be um, not the billions of years old is what they say. So they actually come up with a rescue device called an Oort cloud that beyond Neptune, beyond Pluto, there's some kind of imaginary cloud with a reservoir of comets. Every once in a while, they'll kick it into the solar system. Pretty convenient. And that's their rescuing device, right? Yeah. So, but with this one, um, essentially they have a very similar rescuing devices in here. They have two. They say, well, I guess maybe comets can hold on to ice for that long. And it doesn't evaporate. So you see that rescuing device in there. As well as the other one, they say, well, maybe the belt could have captured it, right? It was in this uh, huge, elongated, very eccentrical uh, orbit. Maybe it, it was captured, so it hasn't always been there. But again, actually, if, if you think about it, the first main belt comet was discovered in the 1990s. They thought the same thing. Maybe it was captured. Maybe this is just an anomaly. But since then, we've been finding more and more of these main belt comets. So it's actually native to that area. And what's puzzling for them is they want to try to use that to try to explain where a lot of the water on Earth came from. For a long time, they thought maybe comets were uh, seeding the Earth with all this water, but then we recently found out that the fingerprints of that water doesn't match the water on Earth, so they're saying maybe these main belt comets uh, could have seeded all the water here. Uh, basically, the bottom line is they're, they're trying to explain the solar system's past without God, without God's reference, and they're trying to use it from using this wrong evolutionary worldview. That was a lot. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> I think that one helped, helped some water. What do you think? Uh, it might. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it doesn't, like we say, God's word is very clear that when God created the world, he created as a, basically a watery mass. I mean, mm -hmm. it seems to be that's indicated in scripture. So there was water from the very beginning, right? We don't have to try to explain how it got here by some asteroid or whatever, these models that, again, are very problematic, as Rob pointed out. But we know from scripture the truth about mm -hmm. that. Yep, comes down to our starting point. Okay, Biden, um, President Joe Biden claims they're all our kids in tweet pushing LGBTQI+. <laughs> oh, how many letters are there? Okay, agenda on children. And so this is something that President Biden as well as um, Vice President Kamala Harris um, have been saying a lot recently. Um, things like um, the LGBTQI plus children as not somebody else's kids, but all our kids, okay? And the idea of it takes a village, right, to raise children. And, um, and we see this over and over again, and it really what it is is it's a denying of parental rights, right, and taking away those rights that parents have um, as, as the authority over their children in their home and trying to assign those to the state. So, Brian, what's the problem with that? Oh, so many problems. And, you know, here's the deal. <laughs> yeah. If they were just trying to say, hey, we care about these kids because they're a citizen of the United States of America, we should care about all of them equally because we care about them as being part of this nation, that'd be one thing. But that's not what they're inherently trying to say here. They really, as you said, George, are trying to say, no, they are part of a communal uh, raising up, if you will. It's all one big group. We should work together to raise the kids as is best for society. Now, who gets to deem what is best for society? Well, they're going to say their particular worldview, the way they think about the world, in particular on this issue about the LGBTQ ideology. Well, these are the best values of our society. Therefore, we need to implant those values in our kids. And he says here, one example is this. He says, it matters a great deal, uh, Biden said this, it matters a great deal how we treat everyone in this country, which I wonder if that 
also refers to how you treat Christians in this country. Mm-hmm. But he's talking about those of the LGBTQ movement. Kids were involved in that. He says, LGBTQI plus Americans, especially children, you are loved, you are heard, and this administration has your back. Does it really, though? Because what is love? Who gets to define what love is? Now, they want to define what love is and indoctrinate your kids with that. I would pose a question. Would they be okay with me taking their kids or their grandkids and indoctrinating their kids with my views? Would they be okay with that? Mm-hmm. Probably not because it's a one-way street. Double standard. Which is yeah. what communism and Marxism always tries to do to just get the next generation to then force the culture and direction they want to go, which is what this is. And let me just tell you something. He's not loving these kids. Yet to actually love, it must be rooted in truth. Who defines what truth is? God does. Things not in line with God's nature and his truth are not loving. To push an anti-biblical view of sexuality or gender is the opposite of love. And you're pushing kids down a path that leads to death and destruction in this life and in the next. So it's anything but love. And he hasn't got their back. And so i got a few problems with this, but there are a couple. Oh boy, Brian. Yep. Yeah, like so like Brian was saying, I mean, this is obviously nothing new. Every single Marxist anti-God leader in history tries to do the exact same thing because they know the importance of controlling the next generation. Hitler famously said this. He said, he alone who owns the youth gains the future because they know that in order to control this, this society, they got to control the family, which is the backbone of society. So that's what they're trying to do. And in this article, it mentions that the Biden administration, they plan to use federal funding to support programs that help parents affirm their LGBT kids. Right there. That is a scary statement. So they're using that. That's, by the way, that's where your tax dollars are going to right now is towards this indoctrination. Reminds me of Proverbs 29.2, which says, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. No doubt Biden is, is a wicked ruler. He continues to shake his fist defiantly towards God. But the Bible also tells us that we need to be praying for our nation's leaders, right? right. Let, let's continue to pray for Biden, the whole administration, that they turn away, that they repent of their wickedness and turn to Christ and just get right with God today. And it's really the government, too. I mean, not just usurping parental uh, control of the children, but that is not what the government is supposed to do. Like, that is clearly outlined in Romans 13, what the role of government is. And it's not to raise children, right? That that responsibility all throughout Scripture is given to parents and parents alone. And one of the things, it was interesting that um, Biden had said, he said, these are our kids, these are our neighbors, it's cruel and it's callous, meaning, you know, parents that are wanting to not allow their children to go through these terrible mutilating surgeries and wanting them to be as God designed them to be. And, and so just even hearing those words, it's just the irony of that. No, you're, what you're doing is cruel and callous, right? By yes. basically saying they can become something that God did not design them to be and affirming a sin because that's what it is, right? And so it's really, really sad. And even at this supposedly family event that was held, there were some very lewd things that went on that I will not even describe on the air. And I thought, you know, here it is in front of these parents and their children. And it just, again, affirms that the ideology that is behind this, what they're trying to do in, in separating children from parents, that's a very Marxist ideology because then the state is in total authority over everything, destroys the family, which God has set as the foundation of this society and culture, and then allows them to rule. So that's, again, why we need to not allow them to do this and to keep fighting against that. It's so important. And on the other side of this, too, just reminds me that, you know, as we're saying here, the kids don't belong to the nation, right? The kids don't belong to Mother United States or Mother Russia. No, they don't. They belong to the family. And on the flip side, it reminds us parents, it's our responsibility. Those kids have been given to us. 
to raise in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It's a reminder that, yes, God has placed that calling on us and that we should be faithful to uphold it well, that men, we are to lead in that regard in our families, to lead in righteousness, to lead them in understanding a biblical worldview, to have a biblical understanding of the issues of our age, to stand firm and be salt and light. We we do have that calling. We should take it very Mm -hmm. seriously. Yeah, let's continue to stand up against this wicked culture. I mean, let's just tell Biden-Harris, it is enough, right? These are our kids. Let's stop sitting on the sidelines. Let's get back into the game, Christians. Let's go back to the biblical worldview. Um, and, of course, it's not going to be through our power. It's going to be through the power of God that we can do it. Yep. All right, so kind of in a, in a related article. Um, now, we're not going to watch the video, but it says, Woman who transitioned to man sobbed after realizing how lonely and difficult it is to be a dude. Nobody told me. So I actually, I watched this video, and it's one of the saddest things I have watched in a while. Um, yeah. So this is a woman. So even though it looks very much like a man, um, so she must have gotten treatments very early, probably before puberty, um, to look like this today. Um, but, it, you know, we talk a lot about the physical changes that people do to become another gender or another sex. But what isn't talked about a lot is the fact that um, men and women were designed differently by God emotionally and mentally. So, for example, as a woman, I form very close relationships with people because that is how God has designed me to be. He's designed me to be relational. Um, That's just how it is. He's not designed Brian and Rob that way. Okay. (laughs) Now, they have relationships, but I guarantee that their relationships and friendships are not as deep um, as mine are, because that's just not the way that God designed them. He designed one. Is, it's not good or it's just the way that God designed it. Yep. It's not that one is better than the other. It's not that one is bad and one is good. It's just different. And that is something that cannot be changed with any surgery. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just heartbreaking to hear this woman just lament the fact that she cannot have these relationships anymore, basically with other women, because now she's, you know, basically pretending to be a man. And it was so sad as you listened to her quote-unquote testimony. She couldn't back off the ideology she had embraced. She still had to kind of back it up and say, I still believe in this, but she's still lamenting the pain she had been through. But I did a video a few months back on many of these people who are quote-unquote detransitioning who attempted to try to go to a different gender, which you really cannot do, right, in reality. But they tried to do that. And then the brokenness it caused in their lives and then how, how just how they feel just totally out of place and how they feel they have no hope anymore because they've just broken themselves and their bodies to that particular point. And you can see that on YouTube where you're seeing just the consequences of this ideology, the remnants, I mean, just the brokenness that it's caused. You see it here as well. And it reminds us that these people, they need so much help. And we have the answer to the brokenness they're actually experiencing, which is the mm-hmm. gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. And nothing short of that is what's going to pull them out of the darkness they are in. And it is a darkness to be sure. And so as we think about people like this, we the ideology is demonic and we can label it as evil and horrific and we should be totally anti-against it and fighting against it. But the people have been wrapped up in this and they, there's culpability in what they've done. There's responsibility, no doubt about yeah. that. But then also we should be willing to reach out to them and love them mm-hmm. and bring them into the church and show them the truth of God's word, show them the gospel because that is what they need. I'm, I'm predicting based on, I'm not a prophet, but what we see here with this and some of the other ones, we're going to see a lot more people who are calling out for help because they are so broken by this. Yeah, like, like Brian was saying, as a church, we've got to be ready to receive these people with compassion, with love, and point them to the only hope of forgiveness, and that is through Jesus Christ. That is really the root cause. That is the heart of the problem, is the problem of the heart. They need to have a new heart, a new transformation that can only happen by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And just so y'all are aware, also, the whole transgender, cisgender thing, they're just made-up words, right? There's no such thing. Going back to, to 
to the, to the Bible, biblically speaking and biologically speaking as well. There's just two genders. There's just two, male or female. And God doesn't make mistakes. He made you male or female on purpose for a purpose. So if you are struggling with that right now, just turn to God's word. Turn to him for that hope and salvation. That's the only place you can go. Don't go to any other secular place out there. They're, they're not going to be able to provide those answers for you. It's only through God's word that can do that. And next year at the Answers for Women conference, um, which um, we will be having Laura Perry here. And Laura Perry has an amazing testimony. So she is a woman who transitioned to a man. She had several surgeries, um, just terrible things that she basically did to her body to become a man and then um, came to know Jesus Christ as her savior and now has as, is a woman Thankfully, again, living a life as a woman is now married, and so she's going to be sharing her testimony, and um, I'm just super excited mm -hmm. to um, hear to that. Good. I've heard it before, but hearing it again. Um, so you can go to answersforwomen.org to find out more information about that conference, ladies. Hope that you'll join us uh, for that next year. Okay, 3D muscle reconstruction reveals 3.2 million-year-old Lucy could stand as erect as modern humans. Okay, now we could go through all of the science in this yeah. article. We could do that. But let's just start with, first of all, before we get to the science, what assumptions went into the science that, that are here? Because yeah. a 3.2 million year old, which it isn't, but okay, let's just use their timeline, doesn't have any muscles preserved, okay? Yeah. There are no muscles, there are only bones. And so they wanted to see, there's been this big debate as to whether Lucy, which is Australopithecus africans, uh, was really uh, bipedal. Did she walk upright? Because maybe she's in the line to becoming, you know, evolving from some, some sort of ape-like creature to man. So I love, I love this part. To recreate muscles of this hominin, meaning Lucy, Wiseman started with some living humans. Okay, using MRI and CT scans of the muscle and bone structure of a modern woman and man, she was able to ma map the muscle pass and build a digital musculoskeletal model of Lucy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, so you're starting with human muscles, and lo and behold, Lucy's bipedal yeah. and can walk upright. Yeah, I mean, I'm shocked. <laughs> what are the chances of that? Oh, I just, when I read that, I was like, okay, you don't yeah. even need to go into all the details, right? right. Because you can see the, the assumption to building their model is totally based on humans. Yeah, the, re the, the so-called reconstructions of Lucy's supposed muscle bone structure, it's twofold. It's not only that, they're, they're basing off of modern human structure, but also virtual models of what they think Lucy's skeleton may have looked like. So can you see assumption upon assumption upon assumption? And every single model is only good as its assumption. So obviously they had to first assume Lucy was our ancestor, walked upright, had a similar structure to us. They're just begging the question, really just merely assuming what they're trying to prove here. Which I, last time I heard, that's a logical fallacy. Well, and there, I'll give you a couple of the older assumptions. Number one is they, they only found 25% of the total fossil. They'll right. say 40%, but they found no hand bones or no foot bones. So roughly 25% right. of the total fossil. So it's not a complete fossil. Number two, they probably used Lovejoy's interpretation of Lucy's hips. Yes. Uh, there's, we got some videos on that we might talk about later on. But basically, Dr. Lovejoy and his team, when they found Lucy's hips, they were angled in such a way that Lucy probably walked on all fours like chimps today. Her discoverers did not like that because it did not fit the evolutionary assumption that she walked upright. So they literally took something like a Dremel, made a cast of the hips, drilled them down, sanded them down, reshaped them, glued them back together to make them look more human-like, and then presented that as proof for, oh, well, look, her hips could have been very much more like humans. That. And then another assumption is we found fragments of arm bones and leg bones. And so most likely they stretched out the leg bones to make them longer and actually kind of crushed 
push together the arm bones to make them shorter to be more human-like. All that is rooted in evolutionary assumptions, but then you take all those assumptions, then you make some really cool models that you put in museums around the world where Lucy's walking upright with an ape-like face, but human hands and human feet and humans stare out to the distance. And then you get this sort of model based on, well, we take living humans and their motion, their muscle map, and apply that to Lucy. Do you see? One layer after another of so yeah. many secular, non-biblical evolutionary assumptions. But here's what you got to realize. You don't ever see those typically, and your kids don't see those. All they mm-hmm. see is the finished product. Yep. And the nice little headline that says, wow, they proved Lucy, Lucy walked up like a, like a human. That proves eight men are real. The Bible's history is false. Why trust about anything else? So understand that's where that does go. We tend to miss that. Yeah. Sounds like a bunch of monkey business to me. <laughs> and we have, we have a great model here um, at the Museum of Lucy um, showing her, again, looking at the bones. And, and we're looking at it from a different interpretation because we start with a different starting point. We start with God's word. We know that there's no relationship between Lucy or any kind of ape-like creature and human beings because God created them separate. They're different kinds. They're not related to one another in that sense. And so... Um, so it just goes to show you, again, to really look at what, because when I first started reading the paper, it wasn't until about halfway through right. that I was like, oh, I see what they did. And um, so it's, again, it's very, very problematic and making a lot of assumptions. So always, always look at that. Always say this fact, right? Every single one is evolutionary. And there's a great video on Answers.TV by Dr. David Minton called yep, Lucy, exactly. She's No Lady. Uh, which is a great breakdown of Lucy. It's really well done. You definitely want to check and that he out. Shows, and he shows the video that Brian was talking about. About It was like a PBS special or something was, yeah. showing mm-hmm. this, literally this paleontologist taking the Dremel to her hip bones and changing them. Yeah, okay. basically so saying this that's isn't like something we're making bone. up. Yeah. Like it literally <laughs> yeah. was on you PBS. Can watch it. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, last article here. Quebec has the world's highest euthanasia rate. Bill 11 could increase it even more. So we've, we've talked about this several times on Answers News about the rampant euthanasia that occurs in Canada. And this Bill 11 um, does a couple of different things. So it expands euthanasia by creating um, an obligation for, pa- obligation for palliative care Uh, to offer this. They call it medical assistance in dying or MAID, Um, offering it in cases of severe physical disability and offering it by advance request. So you could request it a maximum of two years, um, basically in advance to be able to do this. So they, every time we look at this, it's just like they expand it more and more and more and more. So more people can have a legitimate basically basis for for killing themselves. Yeah, think about the uh, I, the just the irony of that name made too. I just I just kind of kind of weird, but yeah, I mean obviously Canada is just on the road to utter self destruction. They're going to destroy themselves not only with euthanasia but with the abortion, with the LGBT issues that, that we're seeing here. Eventually, they're just going to kill themselves off, and this is just the tragic result of an anti-God secular worldview that doesn't value human life. Um, obviously, if we go back to the biblical worldview, all life is precious because all life is made in the image of God. So obviously, this play this this bill is in contradiction with God's laws in violation of God's law. He says, you shall not murder. And so I, I always say, think about it. If they fail to murder the people in the womb, they're going to try to do it when they're older in life through this euthanasia. And then the, the end of the article also talks about what can be done to reverse the killing trend. I want you guys to realize that this is just, just a symptom of the root cause, which is an abandonment of God's word, of God's standard here. Um, instead, these, these, these Canadian, these 
the, the government of, of Canada, they're building their worldview on the shifting sands of man's opinion here, trying to redefine what the value of life is. Uh, Judges 21, 25 says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And when you reject God, anything goes. And that's what we're seeing here with this article. I also wrote Proverbs 8:36. all those who hate God and his wisdom and standards ultimately love death. And that's what we're seeing here. And the fundamental ideology that's pushing this euthanasia movement in Canada and other places, it's utterly anti-biblical because it basically says that, well, you should be the captain of your own ship. Yeah. You should be able to decide when you die. So if you, don't like, if you don't like the circumstances of your life, and they may be horrendous, we're not saying they're not in some cases, but if you don't like those circumstances, then they're saying you should be able to take your own life. The Bible says, no, that is God's jurisdiction alone. It doesn't belong to you or me. God decides when we live and when we die. We don't have that right. We're trying to take away his authority when we do that. We have no right to decide that. That's up to God and God alone. So fundamentally, it's flawed from the get-go. And then, as Georgia, you mentioned, the door just keeps getting open wider and wider and wider, as these things tend to do. And now they're offering this euthanasia to those who, are phys who have physical disabilities that aren't going to die. And so basically, if you have a physical disability that handicaps your life in a way you don't think is good enough for you to live, well, then you should be able to kill yourself or you kill them off. That is literally eugenics. What you're saying is those people don't have a life worth living. Therefore, they need to die. That's literally what Nazi Germany said about somebody that they killed off as well. So the idea is utterly anti-biblical. It is and it's really just meant to target life, as you mentioned, and we got to realize that and go back, as you say, to God's Word and build a mm -hmm. biblical worldview on this and encourage those who are struggling with disease and brokenness with the right understanding of those saints for their good now and for eternity. And regardless of disability or ability, we're all made in the image of God, right? That's that right. is an indelible stamp that God has given all of us, and therefore all life is precious um, because mm -hmm. of that. All right, so just to um, end here with a few things, uh, we talked a little bit about a few different astronomy topics, and we have this great new book by Danny Faulkner, our astronomer here, The Heavens, A Different View. It has some beautiful uh, photography in it, and I encourage you to check out that book. That uh, awesome just coffee table book. If you just buy it for the pictures alone, it's, it's a great book to have. Yeah. This is a great book for the coffee table as well, so a monkey can look at you or a chimp can look at you as you drink your coffee, which there is great, go. all right? <laughs> yeah. But chimps and humans, they are definitely different and kind of breaking down why they're so different and getting rid of some of those false evolutionary assumptions that are so baked into our cultural narrative. That's something to keep in mind as well. I got another announcement too. Today is June 19th. Tomorrow is June 20th. That'll be my wife and I. That'll be our 25th anniversary. All right. Yeah. All right. Happy awesome. anniversary early, baby. All right. Yeah. Had to get that in there. Sorry. Speaking of which, <laughs> the gender and marriage Look at that transition. <laughs> yeah. Well Jeez. done. Which talks up. about like God's plan for gender, God's plan for marriage, and the war that we're in for biblical truth when it comes to this. So nice short answers in here to those questions that are very popular in our world today. Also coming up uh, this fall, we have our annual um, Pastors and Christian Leaders Conference. This year is Contending for a Biblical Worldview, October 3rd through the 5th at the Ark Encounter. Encourage you go to answersforpastors.org to find out more information about that. Also, we are hiring, okay? <laughs> so uh, especially the really busy, busy season is upon us. And uh, so we are hiring. So you can go to answersandgenesis.org slash jobs to find out about our um, seasonal position uh, that we have available. Encourage you to do that. Um, I've worked here for 17 years. Like I said, what a great, uh, tremendous um, 17 years that has been, um, being mm -hmm. able to work for a Christian ministry and use my abilities in that way. We really have something for everybody. Um, mm -hmm. And no matter what your talents or skills are, we can use that. And so encourage you to find out more about that. All right. So we are out of time for today. So we'll see you back next Monday. See you guys. God bless. <laughs>